I want to read you this story from Luke's gospel. And I want to pick it up from the end of the crucifixion. If you're here today and you're not quite sure why Jesus died, maybe you've bought the story. Maybe, you, maybe you've bought into, well, he just ran afoul of the Romans and the Romans had to put him to death because he was a revolutionary. Then I want to tell you some things. First and foremost, it was not the Romans who really wanted this guy dead. It was the religious leaders of the time. It was the city of Jerusalem that, that, that demanded this man's death. And Pontius Pilate, the governor of the time, went along with it because he was afraid of making the people angry. But I want to tell you this. Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down. Jesus had slipped through crowds before. When they tried to throw him off a cliff, he slipped through the crowd. When they wanted to kill him at the Feast of Tabernacles, he slipped through the crowd. And he only revealed himself when he wanted to be seen. But that day in the garden, they came to arrest him. And when they came to arrest him that night, remember, he had told his disciples, he told his disciples over and over again, I'm going to die, but in three days I'll rise. That's not code, is it? Does anybody struggle with that? Like, is that, when I say that, are you, is he speaking French right now? Are you curious? I mean, you know what I'm saying. I said it pretty clear. But the Bible says the disciples didn't get it. No, I don't know. What do you mean by that? They're so used to parables. They're like, okay, so death is, what's death? What does death stand for? He's like, death. <laughs> he told them, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. And we write little kid songs about it. Lift Jesus higher, lift Jesus higher, lift him up for the world to see. And we think we're talking about a song about being cheerleaders for Jesus. But it says in the next verse, he said this to tell them which way he was going to die. So when he says, if I be lifted up, he's not like, hey, raise the roof, <laughs> lift Jesus higher. When he says, if I be lifted up, he says, if I'm crucified. So when we say lift Jesus higher, I like that song too, so don't stop singing it. But <laughs> it would be different if we said, crucify Jesus, crucify Jesus. We'd be like, don't sing that song anymore, right? Anyways, he said, he told him this to tell him which way he was going to die. He told Peter, I'm going to go to death. And Peter said, forbid it not, Lord. Pity yourself. And Jesus, he said, I've got to die. Peter said, no, Lord. In fact, one of the gospels said he took Jesus aside. Yeah. The nerve, right? <laughs> took Jesus aside. Jesus, you don't have to do that. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You are seeing things, uh, uh, you, are, you are seeing things the way man sees them and not the way God sees them. Get behind me, Satan. You're seeking man's outcome and not God's outcome. When, he, when those soldiers rolled up in the garden and Judas came in, betrayed Jesus and gave him a kiss to show this is the guy. It says that Jesus, they said, we're looking for Jesus. And he said, I am. The same words that God said to Moses in the wilderness. The same words that he told Moses and Aaron to say to Pharaoh when he said, who sent you? The same words that he said over his people. He said, here's, here's who I am. I am. And when he said these words, I am, it says the soldiers armed to the teeth, the soldiers fell down. When they got up, they were dumb enough to ask again. Yeah. <laughs> and he said the same thing and they fell down again. You can imagine the next time they got up. 
Let's not say anything, guys. <laughs> Why did Jesus do that? He did that to show them this. I'm the one with the power. You're not taking my life. I'm laying it down for you. You have to know that hundreds, even thousands of years before Jesus died, God said, I'm sending someone to die. The story is not the story of a man that finally said too much and was killed for it. The story is the story of the Son of God, God himself becoming flesh, the Word made flesh, living amongst us and giving his life as a ransom for the many. Nobody took Jesus' life. If he wanted to make himself king, he could have, but he said, that's not the way I'm going to do this. So I want to tell you the real story of Jesus today. When he was crucified, the Bible says he was crucified for our sins. He paid the price for our sins. Whatever we did, he saw. Whatever we did, he bore. And so the man who had never known sin, never known what it was like to be displeasing to God, never known separation from the Father, took all of that on himself in one moment and went to the cross for us. He was beaten severely. He was whipped within inches of his life. And yet he still carried the cross until the point where Jesus even though he's the son of God, he is also a human. He had lost so much blood that he couldn't physically carry the cross anymore. And a man named Simon took that cross and carried it with him. And when they crucified Jesus, in that moment of giving his life, in that moment, he looked at the people who were mocking him and he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I don't know about you, but when it comes to forgiveness on my behalf, like it comes to me forgiving someone, sometimes I, if they were doing that to me, I would need a moment. <laughs> I need a few days. Jesus in the moment forgave them. Even greater than that, it's one thing to forgive someone. It's another thing to ask God to forgive them. He said, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And at that moment, when he gave his life, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he gave up his spirit. And I want to start from there. In verse Luke chapter 23, verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour. Six hours, 12 o'clock. The day, Hebrew day started at 6 a.m. Six hours noon. And it says that darkness... Darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. That's 3 p.m. Because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two, in two. There was a veil that separated the Holy of Holies from common people like you and me. And it wasn't because this was the VIP area. This was because if you were to enter that holy place with even a trace of sin, you would die. Not because God wanted you dead, but because it was so holy that holiness and sin could not dwell in the same place. And one's going to give and it's not going to be God's holiness. You would die. So there was a thick veil to prevent you from accidentally going in or purposely going in. But it separated the people from the pure presence of God. But when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says all of sin had come short of the glory of God. What Jesus did was took care of sin so that you would not be separated from the glory of God. So the veil was torn in two. 
showing that never again would there be a separation from God and his people because Jesus took the sin that would have killed us and made a way for us to go into the Holy of Holies. Verse, can you imagine that thick veil? It was not like these curtains here. It was massive, massive. And you have to know, I've read studies. I mean, we weren't there, but I've read studies of how thick this was. This was not a little curtain fabric. This was a thick veil, and it stretched very high and very wide. And in one moment, it went and just tore in two. Can you imagine being there in the middle of the day? It's black outside. There's, there's, there's things going on that you can't explain. And then can you imagine being at the temple and seeing that veil just rip in front of you? You would have thought it was the end of the world. And in one sense it was. It was the end of one world and the beginning of the next. And it says this. And Jesus crying out with a loud voice. Listen, he didn't give up until that was done. He didn't give up until the the work was accomplished. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Another gospel says one of the things he said was it is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, the centurion is a man who's in charge of a hundred other soldiers. When he saw what had happened, he began praising God saying, certainly this man was innocent. What happened in that moment? What happened in that moment? Something happened where this man's eyes were open for the first time. And he saw what the thief saw on the cross. Isn't it amazing? The people that first realized what was going on was a criminal being executed next to Jesus and the man who was in charge of his execution. They were the first two to realize what was happening. Doesn't that show you the goodness of God? Doesn't that show you the mercy of God? See, if it were you and me, we'd be like, you guys are the first to suffer. You put me here. But the man who was in charge of the soldiers crucifying Jesus was the first one to understand this is an innocent man. And all the crowds came together for this spectacle. When they observed what had happened, they began to return, beating their breasts. Why? Because their eyes had been slowly opened as well. You see, these are the same people that were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And now they're in anguish for what they've done. In 50 days, I'm just going to give you a little spoiler. In 50 days, a man is going to stand up in the middle of Jerusalem and look at the city that yelled for Jesus' crucifixion and say this, forgiveness is available for you. These same people that beat their breasts are going to get an opportunity to be forgiven. We'll talk a bit about that in a minute. And all of his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance seeing these things. And a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action. A man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. That's so cool. He was waiting for the kingdom of God. He was part of the religious leadership, but he wasn't like them who gave up hope of Jesus coming, of a Messiah coming. This was a man who believed it. Because he believed it, he did not consent. He wasn't part of the plot to kill Jesus. He said he was waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate, and he asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and he ripped it in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever lain. You know, a brand new tomb like that costs a lot of cash. 
Nobody's ever like, you say, well, well, that's kind of weird. I mean, like I go to the cemetery and I buried my grandma in a place no one was ever laid. I mean, that's not a weird thing. But this is a massive cave. And they would have family tombs. And you'd lay, I mean, you paid a lot of money for this. This is valuable real estate. And you would, you would put your whole family in there, generations of people. That's why they anointed them with spices. So the next person that dies, you know, doesn't stink up the place. So, you know, that's why they wrap them tightly. Nobody's ever been laid in this tomb. Remember hundreds of years before, we've been reading Isaiah 53. Hundreds of years before, it says he was with a rich man in his death. God told us that he was going to be buried in a rich, rich man's tomb. Here's the cool thing. It was cut into the rock. It was preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the woman who had come out of Galilee followed and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. And on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. End of chapter 23. But you know what? There's no chapters in the original book. We put them there. So what is the next word? But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing spices which they prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. I want you to know how big this stone was. It took several men to move this stone. Beyond that, Pontius Pilate was worried about these guys. Herod was too. They were worried that this man was so big that his followers would come and steal his body. So you know what they did? They put a seal over that tomb. It was the seal of Caesar himself. They put guards in front of the tomb. And if anyone broke that seal, it wouldn't have been easy to do, but if anyone broke that seal, you know it was broken. Those guards protected it. Their life was forfeit. It's not like today. Somebody gets a slap on the wrist. Somebody says, well, he fell asleep on the job. Well, he's fired. These guys would die if they, if they let someone in. They'd be put to death. I mean, do you know how these guys were executed? If you failed at your job, you knelt down. Somebody came behind you with a sword and drove it into your neck. That's what would happen. So these guys didn't just say, oh, you're, you're Jesus' disciples? We'll let you take a peek. <laughs> when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood. Have you ever seen someone suddenly stand? No, because that's like they weren't there. Now they're there. They suddenly stood. This is not a Star Trek episode. They were suddenly standing there. <laughs> In dazzling clothing. And the women were terrified. And they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, why do you seek the living one among the dead? I love that. Angels are just so honest. <laughs> they view us as so thick. So why are you seeking the living one among the dead? You guys were there. I was there. Were you there when he said he was going to rise from the dead? Was nobody listening? Why are you here? Why are you at a cemetery looking for the living one? He's not here, but he's risen. Remember? Remember how he spoke to you while he was in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day he would rise again? Once again, not code. <laughs> really straightforward. Jesus spoke in parables, but when he talked about this stuff, it was very straightforward. 
He didn't say, uh, when, when the moon hits the, the, aligns with this and, and this star is this, then will a, a wind blow from the east? No, he just said, so I'm going to be crucified. On the third day, I'll rise again. And the angel said, don't you remember this? And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven, to all the rest. Now there were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. And the other women were with him, were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense and they would not believe them. What a tragic thing. You know, it's an amazing thing in a culture where the only testimony that was taken in court was a man's testimony. That was the way their culture was at the time. A man's testimony, if a woman said something, they'd be like, well, there's a he said, she said thing, and really, so it's only a he said thing. It's a he said, she said, she said, she said, she said, but they're all women, so what does the man say about this? Not a good thing, but it was their culture. And yet, God purposely, purposely made it so that the women would be the first to be witnesses of the resurrection. If you ever follow the life of Jesus, he was quite the empower of women. So they're the first ones. And what do the men say? Nonsense. (laughs) You know, when the angel said, remember, the women remembered. When the women said, remember, the men said, nonsense. (laughs) Women, right? <laughs> sure, honey. All right. Let the men talk. We're talking about how sad we are. I don't know what's wrong with these women. <laughs> they would not believe. Listen, I want you to see the phrase. It doesn't say they couldn't believe or didn't. It says they would not believe. At some point in your life, you got to choose. I'm going to believe. We're not talking about somebody who had zero evidence. We're talking about people who had eyewitnesses, who had evidence, who had Jesus say this was going to happen, and they still would not believe. Something's got to change in you where you say, I, I, I will believe. And when you do, your eyes are opened. It says they would not believe them. In verse 12, but Peter got up, thank God, at least he got up. If he couldn't believe a girl, at least he was going to find out for himself. <laughs> But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. And behold, two of them, two of who? The disciples who heard this, were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still looking sad. They just heard that Jesus was alive. They just heard Jesus was alive. What are they still doing? Looking sad. Looking sad. You see, there is something to be said for hearing the truth. And there's another thing to be said for believing the truth. And when you believe the truth, your eyes are open. And it takes your sorrow and turns it to joy. 
Jesus told them before he was crucified. He said, and in some of the last words he said to them, he said, I, this is going to happen to me. I'll be gone soon. And he says, great sorrow. You're going to have great sorrow. But don't worry about this. I'll come back and then you'll be full of joy and no one can take your joy from you. Their sorrow was a result You know, there's a time for weeping. There's a time for laughter. But in this case, their sorrow was not a result of their love for Jesus. Their sorrow was a result of their unbelief. They stood still looking sad. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and you're unaware of the things which had happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, in the sight of God and all the people. Listen, before this day, they were, the disciples were saying, this is the Messiah, the son of the living God. It wasn't just the 12. It, people were yelling it as he entered the city of Jerusalem just days before. But now what are they saying? He was a prophet. They let their experience, what they thought they saw, they let their experience change their belief about who Jesus was. He was a prophet, mighty indeed in word and sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. Listen to this. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. It's the third day since these things happened. It's the third day since these things happened. And the women told you he rose from the dead. Do the math. (laughs) Listen to this. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and they did not find his body, they came saying that they'd also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the woman also had said, but him they did not see. So the question you ask is, why are you sad? Why are you sad? Everything is just as he said. Why are you sad? Because even knowing, even with all the facts in front of them, their heart did not open. They did not believe. They didn't believe yet. And guys, until you're willing to believe, your eyes are blinded. Your heart is hardened. You got to believe something. In verse 25, he said to them, O foolish men, Listen to this. And slow of heart to believe. And all the prophets have spoken. You see, Jesus is about to tell them that this is not something that came up three years ago. This is something that we've been talking about for thousands of years. God's been telling you about this. The prophets have been telling you. You grew up in in, in little Hebrew school learning about this. Your rabbi taught you about this every Sabbath day. Why do you still not believe? Why are you slow of heart to believe? Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer, the Messiah, to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Do you see that? That is so awesome. He went back and gave them a a Bible school course on the road. And he went back to Moses and just went through the prophets and showed himself throughout the Old Testament. 
Can you imagine that conversation? Because these, he's telling the stories they've heard all their life. They just never knew it would happen in their lifetime. All of a sudden, they're seeing things again for the first time. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Can you imagine the fireworks that are going off as, as boom, 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 you know? Oh, man, this is, ex- this is what he was, wow. And it says, they approached the village where they were going. He acted as though he were going further. But they urged him, saying, stay with us, for it's getting toward evening, and the day is near, now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us when he was speaking to us on the road while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found gathered together the eleven. And those who were with them saying, the Lord has really risen. He is risen indeed. The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. <laughs> they still aren't talking about the women, but at least he appeared to Simon. <laughs> those girls were right. What do you know? They began to relate their experiences. Can we just be better than them, all right? <laughs> Amen. All right. Thank God. Verse 36. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you say I see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, got anything to eat? <laughs> some, people will be- some people still won't believe if they touch your hands. But a ghost does not eat a piece of fish. <laughs> and they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in front of them. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then, listen to this, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. He stayed with them. The Bible says he stayed with them for 40 days. And when he ascended to the Father, they gathered in the upper room in Jerusalem, just as he told them. It was the same place that they'd had that last supper with him. Said that 120 people on one day were eating and sleeping and praying together in that room. And you know the story. The Holy Spirit filled them. They saw tongues that looked like fire. It looked like tongues of fire over their heads. A great and mighty sound came, and it was the sound of rushing mighty wind and filled the place. And they all began to be filled with the Spirit and speaking in other tongues. And what happened in the upper room 
spread outside into the city streets. And the city heard, it says the city heard the sound of them praising God. Here's the cool thing. The sound they heard was a sound from heaven. But the sound that the city heard was the sound of disciples praising God. And 120 of them stood up and began praising God. And they were speaking in other tongues. And as they were speaking these other tongues, all these people, thousands of people in Jerusalem, some who were natives of Jerusalem and some who had come for the feast, began to hear what these guys were saying in their own language. And they heard them praising God. And they glorified God. And Peter stood up. The man who was too afraid. The man who didn't believe the women when they said Jesus was risen from the dead. Now he believes. Now he stands up. And now he begins to preach. And I want you to hear something that he says. In this great sermon, he told them this is what was prophesied. This is what God said would happen. He'd pour out his spirit on all flesh. He says in Luke, sorry, in Acts 2 verse 22, Men of Israel, listen to these words, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man was delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Listen, this happened because God planned it, not because he made some Romans mad. He's preaching. Where is he? He's in Jerusalem. He's not in Galilee right now. He's not in Samaria. He's in Jerusalem. The city which 50 days before were saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. They yelled for his crucifixion. Now a man stands in front of them and says this. You nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and you put him to death. But God raised him up again. Putting an end to the agony of death. Listen to this phrase. Since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence. For he was at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue exalted. Moreover my flesh will live in hope. Because you will not abandon my soul to Hades. Nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. He says, brothers, I'm going to confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David. That he both died and was buried. What's he saying? David wasn't talking about himself. Because he was left in the grave. His body did decay. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God swore to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on the throne. He looked ahead and he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. That he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again to which, listen to this, we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And before I read the next verse, I want to remind you about that day when Jesus was on trial. 
The first message that Jesus had his disciples preach was a message preached to the very people that put him to death. The religious leaders had riled up the crowds and they said, scream at Pilate, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate tried to weasel out of crucifying Jesus by saying, it's a custom before the Passover that we let a man go. Normally you'd let a guy who was, had a tough break. You'd let a man go who everybody kind of felt sorry for. But Pilate really wanted Jesus to be let go. So he said, I give you a choice, Jesus or Barabbas. And Barabbas was a very bad guy. Pilate expected that they'd say, well, the worst thing Jesus did was preach some things we don't agree with. Barabbas is like a mean dude. He might kill us. But the crowd was so riled up that they said, give us Barabbas. And when Pontius Pilate saw this, the scripture says he had a basin brought before him. And in front of all the people of Jerusalem, he washed his hands. Not in the back, not in the back room, in front of everybody. He washed his hands and he says, this man's blood is not on my hand. Do you know what the people responded? The people said, let his blood be upon our head and the heads of our children. Now to us, we say things we don't mean all the time. People swear to God when they don't really care. To these people, they meant it. These were people that believed that the sins of the father would be carried on to the sons. And they said, let his blood be on our heads and upon our children. Why? Isaiah 53 says, they would look upon Jesus and see that he, and think he was stricken by God. These people thought they were doing a service to God. So they thought what would be on their kids' heads was the reward for killing a bad man. They said, let his blood be on our heads. That was the hate. That was the anger that the, the enemy had riled up. And lest you think this is just one group of people that thought this way, we were all the rebels. If you had been there, don't fool yourself. You would have said the same thing. And yet, they said, let his blood be upon our heads. And upon our children, so you can imagine some of those people might have been there when Jesus was crucified. They may have been some of those people that beat their breasts and said, what have we done? And when Peter gets up, here's what he says. In verse 39, after he told them to repent and their sins would be forgiven, he says, for the promise is for you and your children. You said, let his blood be on our heads and our children. Now Peter is saying, I'm going to tell you, there's a promise of forgiveness. There's a promise of the Spirit. It's for you and it's for your kids. That's the mercy of God. What they had done, God reversed. Don't you see that's Jesus on the cross? Every time I looked up at God, every time you looked up at God and said, I don't need you. I don't need your sacrifice. I do this myself. I don't want you. That fell upon Jesus. And he turned it around. He took our curse and turned it into a blessing. And Peter stands in front of them and he doesn't pussyfoot around. You'd think in the city that killed Jesus, you might be a little tender with your words. Peter doesn't say, I know you guys didn't mean to. He doesn't say, things were said and done. <laughs> we're going to try to move past that. No, he looks, at, he looks at thousands of people. Remember, the Bible, just to give you a preview, the Bible says over 3,000 people were saved that day. So Peter looked out at thousands of people and said, you crucified the Son of God. 
That's a bold preacher. <laughs> the Messiah, you were the ones that killed him. Well, wasn't it the Romans? Nope, it was you. But now he's offering you forgiveness. And you who said, let it be on our kids, that promises for you and for your kids. They were pierced to the heart. Something changed in their heart, just like it changed those two men on the road to Emmaus. You see, you might have heard the story before, but nothing changed in you. You might have even said, I can buy it. I could believe that. I, 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 could, I could see how that could happen. But nothing really changed in your heart because there's a switch. There's something that has to happen. You have to make that decision. I'm going to believe. And when you believe, your eyes are opened. In that moment, God opens hearts and minds. Those men on the way to Emmaus had all the facts that they needed, right? The women told them Jesus was alive. They remembered that Jesus said he was going to die. They were told what the angels said. They were told that Peter and the rest of the disciples, men like John, went and saw that it was empty. And yet on the road to Emmaus, they're still sad because they have all the facts. They know the story, but they don't believe it. There are people all over our country, all over the world right now who know the story of Jesus, but don't believe it. They haven't been changed by it. But I want you to see what happened when men and women full of the Spirit testified of Jesus. It says something happened. They were pierced to the heart. Whatever they said went past their mind, went past their defenses, went past their guards and hit them straight in the heart. And the result was they said, what do we do to be saved? And that's what happened to me is that God pierced my heart. And he pierced to your heart. And your eyes were opened. What did the man on the road to Emmaus say? Didn't our hearts burn within us? It wasn't that long later that Saul began to persecute the church. And they arrested a man named Stephen. And Stephen preached from the prophets onward. And it says that the, the court, the members of the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, looked at Stephen and it says they were cut to the quick. Cut to the quick means cut right down to the middle. They were pierced to the heart just like these guys were. But instead of repenting, they said, we got to kill this guy. God will always bring you to a moment of decision where he pierces you to the heart. Something burns within you. So your eyes are open. And yet in that moment, you still have a choice. Will I believe? Will I believe what seems impossible? I want you to see the difference that happened in Peter. Just for one, let's just use one man. When he first heard that Jesus had risen from the dead, he didn't believe it. Why? Because it's impossible. It's impossible for a man to come back from the dead on his own. He had seen Lazarus come back from the dead, but Jesus was still alive. And Jesus told him to come out. But how can a man be dead for three days and come back on his own? He didn't believe it. It was impossible. But you know what changed in Peter when he came face to face with Jesus? Just a few weeks later, he stands up and he doesn't say it's impossible for a man to rise from the dead. He says it was impossible for the grave to hold him any longer. We've had something happen in us. We've gone from the point of saying it's impossible for a man to rise from the dead. It's impossible for a man to come down and do these miracles. We've gone past the place where we say it's impossible for God to do this. And we've come to the place where we would say it's impossible for the grave to hold him. It's impossible for me to stay dead when he says live. You see what changes in us? 
when our hearts are open. I pray, I pray that you would respond when your hearts burn within you. I pray that you would respond when your hearts are pierced, not to harden yourself. The scripture says over and over again, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Some of us today are believers, most of us, I would assume. This isn't once in your life that you got to believe something. It's every day of your life you got to believe something. Do you believe in a living Savior? There'll be moments where God causes something to burn within you. You have to choose. Is this nonsense or is it true? The world has trained us to be cynical. The world has trained us to be skeptical. We were bombarded with advertisements all our life. And we said to ourselves, it can't all be right. Could it? I mean, either Duracell is better or Energizer is better. They can't both be right. We know they're lying to us. We know we're being lied to all the time. So it's made us very cynical people. Jesus, talking to a people 2,000 years ago, said, it's impossible for you to hear the truth because your father's a liar. He wasn't talking about their dads. He was talking about Satan himself. The world has grown up in a world of lies. Sometimes it's hard to believe truth, even if you see it with your own eyes. When they touched his hands, they touched his feet. For some reason, they saw him eat fish. They woke up. When those men saw Jesus breaking bread, their eyes were open and they said, our hearts burned within us. The things we've heard all our life. See, I want you to be able to go from hearing a story to believing the Savior. Some of you have heard Bible stories all your life and that's all it's ever been is a story. But when your heart is opened... You see the scripture like you've never seen it before. Because it's alive. And the guy, the main character in all those stories is here today. The same Jesus is here. The same spirit is here. The Bible says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. He will make alive your physical body on that day when we're all resurrected. I believe not just in the death of Jesus, but I believe wholeheartedly in the resurrection of Jesus. Paul said, there are some among you who began to teach that maybe Christ wasn't raised from the dead. He said, guys, if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, we are without hope. See, if we're just preaching Jesus as a great prophet, as a great man, revolutionary, a teacher, somebody we should all listen to, we are without hope. And he says, we are most to be pitied. But he said, if Christ is raised from the dead, he is the first fruits. And as Adam died, we all died. But as Christ was raised, we're all raised. He says, if we have hope, it's all in the resurrection. The resurrection is the point. You can believe what you want about Christianity. You can believe what you want about church. You can believe what you want about organized religion. But let me tell you something. You've got to believe this. That Jesus was not just a man. He was the son of God. He was the Messiah foretold for centuries and centuries and centuries. And I tell you this with confidence. He did not stay dead. There is an empty tomb. He rose from the dead. Empty cross, empty tomb. But he is here. Respond to what God's doing in your heart. I speak to believers and unbelievers alike. I don't know if there's unbelievers here today. But if there is, and if there's believers, let me tell you something. We all got to respond to the same thing. The working of God in our hearts. 
Because the same spirit that preached through Peter that day is here. Preaching through me, preaching through you, speaking to you today. Will you respond to the piercing of your heart? Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden it. Because he lives, I live. Because he lives, you live. And we live in the power of resurrection. I pray for you, you believers who've known this for so long, that every time now you go back to the scripture, your hearts would burn within you. When you tell people the story of Jesus, it wouldn't be that you're reciting something you learned in Sunday school. It would be that you're telling a story that feels to you as if you saw it yourself because you have seen him and you know him. Peter says you know him even though you haven't seen him with your physical eyes. We know him. We know him. I know him. I've met Jesus. Have you met Jesus? I've met the risen Savior. I'm not talking about a physical guy with a beard who came up and hugged me. I wish I had seen that. But I've met Jesus. I can't see him but I know him and I love him. And he's just as alive to me as he was to those women that day. He's just as alive to me as he was to Peter. He's just alive to me as he was to those men on the road to Emmaus who broke bread with him. I didn't get to see him eat a fish, but I get to see him change lives every day. That's the Savior I know. And I pray that you'd know that Savior. For all of us in the room, we'd get past the place where we'd say, it's impossible for that to happen. And we get to the place where our eyes open and say, it's impossible for it not to happen. It's impossible for man to get up from the grave. No, 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 no. You don't understand the power of God. It's impossible for the grave to hold him any longer. Let the story be more than a story. Amen? Stand up with me this morning.